guys. Welcome to episode 30 of the Atlas Podcast. My name is Emma Loggins, Editor-in-Chief at Fanbolt. Uh, my name is Jakai Mickelson, creative and independent filmmaker. Got a little bit of a, a new title for the show there. Yes, it is. It is a little bit different. Uh, I'm still with Atlanta Movie Tours, uh, just not in the day-to-day anymore. So uh, another opportunity came my way. Uh, and frankly, sometimes you can't say no to money. So I said <laughs> yes to money. And uh, that's where we are. But everything is still great between me and Carrie and, and Anna. So uh, I'm still going to be involved, but just not in the day-to-day anymore. So it started to feel more and more weird, me name-dropping myself as still the creative director for Atlanta <laughs> Movie Tours. So, so yeah, that's, that's, that's the newest thing. And also, 30th? Really? We, we're, we're moving on up. We yeah. are. We, soon this podcast will be older than me. <laughs> slow down <laughs> slow down atlas <laughs> slow down um we have a really great show today though um got a little bit to talk about that has happened over the last week a, a couple of i know uh Chikai's favorite things surprises we have surprises <laughs> yes. that happened mm. <laughs> um and then of course i mean we can't not talk about the walking dead and everything that happened sunday night so definitely going to talk about that Yes. And uh, we have an interview with Ron Howard and Tom Hanks from Inferno. So that is our, our movie piece for the week. We don't have any reviews uh, for, for this week's episode, but we will have a review of Inferno for next week's episode. Which is uh, very exciting. I'll be curious. I'll be curious. But yes, both Opie and uh, Forrest Gump will be joining us on the program. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah. It's because they knew it was our 30th. It's a big deal. They they cleared their schedules. They and, did. And they called me personally, and they're like, hey, it would have made more sense if, in this lie if they called you personally because you know way more people. But I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to stick with my original lie. They called me, and I was like, dude, I'm busy right now. So they called back, and then, <laughs> then we went ahead and scheduled them. Yeah. I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. And I, I called that both of them dude. So it was obviously a conference call. Anyways, let's uh, let's move on. Shall we? <laughs> well, sounds good. Um, <laughs> speaking of of interviews, I did an interview actually, a very special interview with um, two gentlemen um, from Supernatural, uh, Rob Benedict and Richard Spate. And we don't have the interview for this week because we're actually going to be holding it uh, for closer to the premiere of their new series on Comic-Con TV. And that series is called King of Con or Kings of Con. Um, So we'll have that coming up uh, next month. I believe it debuts on November 15th. So whatever the Tuesday is that week, um, we'll have we'll have that one on there. But um, those two guys came to Project Cosplay. So that was a pretty big deal for us. It was our first uh, celebrities that were in attendance at Project Cosplay. And we tried to talk them into being judges, but I don't think they fully realized <laughs> like what it was. So they were a little like apprehensive. Um, and they, uh, they were like, oh, we'll just watch. <laughs> and, um, then of course afterwards, um, they're like, we want to come back and do this. Like the next time we're nice. in Atlanta, we want to be a judge for this. So they loved it. Um, their new show is kind of about all of the, the kind of craziness that happens on the con circuit when you're, you know, touring around. I think they have 17. I think that's what, uh, what Rob said that they had 17 conventions a year or it may have been wow. 17 with creation and then a couple other um, international conventions that they do do as well. Um, creation Entertainment, of course, does all of the, the supernatural conventions. Uh, 
so yeah, they see a lot of crazy stuff, as does anyone who does this uh, this convention yeah. circuit. I've I've seen my fair share of crazy too, um, <laughs> but it I it definitely would make for a great show, and I think it's really it's really awesome because it's a very um, very similar concept to uh, what Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk is doing with. Um, their yeah, series. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got a additional interview coming up from that as well. I spoke with their, um, their series showrunner PJ. So we'll have more on that front. So lots of, lots of convention fun interviews coming up. Yeah, but, I guess so. My goodness. Yeah. But that was, that was super cool. And that was last Thursday. And then on Friday, I got to go to a kind of cool little travel tech luncheon thing where they showed us some of the, the tech gadgets that are going to be really popular for this holiday season. And yours truly got a cool little device that I can control from my phone or from my Amazon Echo that I have to be able to tell it to turn on and off lights. So anything that's like, it's like an outlet thing that you plug into your wall. And then if you have a lamp or or whatever plugged into that, you can say, Alexa, turn off my living room lamp and it'll turn off the light. Um, So that's pretty cool. I feel, I feel, I feel like fancy and stuff with all my voice activated (laughs) tech apparel around now. So I was pretty excited that I won that. It's like the clapper 3.0. Eliminate the need to clap. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, so, but that was pretty much, uh, pretty much my my last week. There's going to be some way more cool stuff coming up for uh, for next week. I'm going to up the game pretty pretty drastically Ooh, for nice. I like it. Yeah, you week. know what? We're going to up. We're going to uproot Ron Howard and Tom Hanks. Get them out of here and upgrade. <laughs> exactly. Good, that's how big we're going here at the Atlas. I mean, go big or go home, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Or in our case, go big, stay at home. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's all that's been up with me. What's been up with you? Oh, I, you know, uh, not not a ton. We're just still in a settle mode being parents. Zach's is like, it's a miraculous how fast things change. Because I swear to goodness, like three weeks ago, he was just a little baby that woke up, slept, pooped, Aww. ate. Repeat, right? And now now he's a little guy that's like, I'm bored over here. I want to move over here. And he's grabbing at things. And I don't know. It's super non-impressive stuff if you've never gone through it before. But like watching him learn the world around him and, oh, my gosh, these are my hands. And I'm going to punch myself with them is is, is a great time. That's awesome. Yeah. So so that's and uh, and the funny thing happens also when you have a baby is suddenly family comes to visit you. So so uh, my sister came in from San Diego and she was here for four days, kind of helping us. And really, she wasn't here to see Mandy and me so much as as Zach's. We were just kind of like the bonus. So that was uh, she she was out here. And what's funny is, and I know, uh, but obviously we're going to be talking about this Walking Dead thing. She had never seen an episode of The Walking Dead. Oh, and wow. Told, yeah. And she's all, wait, is that the show? What is that the one with the, uh, what is that one? And she, she described a completely different show. I'm like, no, no, no. The zombies. And then she's like, oh, oh. and I swear to goodness, she said, cause I started watching the episode with her and my dad's in town too, right? Mm-hmm. And neither of them really watched the show. And it actually got kind of stressful in the living room because Roxy, my stepsister, doesn't really like violence. 
So oh, well, she, that she was the wrong episode. <laughs> yeah, she got a little weird around it, and then she's all, you know, I would like zombies. I would like zombies if, like, if, like, you know, if there wasn't blood and they just kind of attacked each other. And I'm like, that is the absolute worst show pitch I've ever heard in my yeah. entire life. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, this is a show where the zombies hug. Um, <laughs> all, nothing but love. Nothing but yeah, love here. Zombie but it love. actually, it, the, the, the episode really adversely affected my dad, too. He was just, like, so disgusted by all the darkness and the violence. And my yeah. dad is, my dad, on the same note, is the guy laughing his butt off at, like, uh, Ash versus Evil Dead, but which is still super violent, but kind of cartoony ridiculous. Right. So... It is. It was. I realized watching it, like, man. Well, and I had to stop it, too, because also, on top of it all, Zach's had the biggest blowout in his history. Oh, no. Just exploded <laughs> everywhere. Like, it was like a nine alarm, all hands on deck. <laughs> Keep the poop away from things that matter. Um, so, but yeah, so so it was, it was full of, uh, it, it was a lot of magic. So I actually didn't watch the episode until yesterday. And holy crap. Yeah. That, that, you know, what a, what a fun time. What a fun show this is. You know, it's one thing when you, you, you know, and I, I you know, ex- expected exactly what happened to happen. I didn't know that Glenn would happen right after Abraham. Yeah. I, I knew that I, I predicted alert. that it was going to be. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, well, I'll put it in the description. For <laughs> the description. Right. <laughs> but um, I'm just assuming everyone, I mean, has will yeah. have seen or has heard or I mean unless you uh, stay away from all media social media the television anyone that you know because everyone's talking about it um, but I, I predicted that it was going to go down like that with Abraham going first and then I knew they were going to do Glenn the question was just when they were going to do Glenn yeah and but knowing it and seeing it even having you know you know especially with Glenn they stayed very true to the frame in the comic book and right. seeing that versus actually seeing it with real people on TV yeah. was uh, something that I could never anticipated having felt as sick as I did I actually threw up <laughs> so yeah threw up a was, little bit <laughs> it was it was really tough and, and they really milked it and I and I did say in the moment of that horrifically dark moment, I was like, "Oh my gosh, Emma totally called this!" Like, which <laughs> which kind of broke up the the tenseness, <laughs> yeah, in, in watching it. But yeah, Mandy watched it with me, and you know, which is pretty tough to watch. It was really tough to watch. It was weird because after watching the the season finale uh, with kind of the setup of this whole scene, I felt sick to my stomach, and then this right. episode, I felt obviously sick to my stomach, and I actually woke up like Sunday night. I couldn't sleep. Like, I just had this, like, horrible, sick feeling. Yeah. And it's incredible that a TV show can really have that kind of effect on you. Um, I feel I feel better now, so that's good. <laughs> but yeah. um, but it, it, I was thinking, in the history of television, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe Game of Thrones being a glaring exception. You know, um, I think this is worse than anything we've seen on Game of Thrones. Like, I, Well, I, like, the Red Wedding was, like, the worst thing I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. But, but like, but this is, I was going to say, this is, like, the worst in the history of television. Like, Glenn had been there since, what, the second episode? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, season one. And, and you, and you, you know, this is Glenn. He's a loving pizza delivery guy. And then you have to watch him for, like, a minute straight. Having an eyeball sticking out of his head, yeah. While while uh, homeboy keeps uh, keeps monologuing, 
like a super villain. You know, it's <laughs> it's 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 tough. It it's, is. It's that's a really sad way to see somebody go. And I did actually with the, the way everybody was in the house when it was kind of going on. And my dad's like, I can't watch this. I was like, man, why do why do we as fans put ourselves through this? What an excruciating ride this is. You know, that's so funny that you say that. On Monday, I actually got a pitch. Sometimes I get these weird pitches from PR companies that are just representing someone that is completely unrelated to entertainment. Like it was like a psychologist and the the PR person was pitching them as someone to be able to talk about how um, people actually grieve the loss of characters on uh, TV shows just as much as they do grieving someone that they've lost in real life. Hmm. And I thought that was kind of an interesting concept, right? Because we do kind of escape with these characters, you know, every week and we get to know them and love them and adore them. And then they're gone in in such a brutal way. Um, It was an interesting thing I hadn't actually thought about before. You know, I don't I don't feel like I was actually grieving Glenn's death as much as I was just like completely like just felt sick to my stomach over it. Um, And and the scene, I mean, he's such a he's a great actor, great guy. Um, His character was I mean, him and Maggie, that was just such a, a great on camera couple. Um, and then that last scene of what, you know, will never be with everyone at the table was just like pulling at the heartstrings. So I, I definitely get the, the kind of pain and grief behind it. Um, but yeah, and I don't know where we really go from here because I feel like it's, everyone is so emotionally just ruined that I feel like we're going to be taking at least half a season, if not the entire season to like realistically build them back up to be, you know, the characters that they were before this happened and to possibly have a chance to to go after Negan and, and seek revenge and justice. There is there is kind of like an ultimate like just wonderment of like where does this thing is there any chance for a happy ending in this universe? Right. For any of the characters. So there you know, like I it's weird because again the zombies are less and less and less and less of a factor. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting. And I'll admit, at the, at the front end of the episode, when Rick was having those like weird little edited black and white flashbacks, mm-hmm. I, I started being Mr. Elitist, like, okay, that is a very cheesy device. But but the whole the whole episode as a whole, and, and what you mentioned, that Thanksgiving dinner thing, was really powerful. It was. But at the very beginning, I was like, oh, no, they're trying to like load the deck. Who who got it? But then it ended up being really powerful. So yeah, it was excruciating watching Glenn like that for a long time. I admit it. I was like trying to defend it to my dad. It's just it's from a comic book, and <laughs> I'm like, yeah, never mind. It's horrible and atrocious. We're gonna have to hug this one out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not the episode you want to introduce anyone no. to the show on. No. Or, um, yeah, so we'll we'll see where we go next week. I've got a. Um, I'm working with Walker Stalker this coming weekend, and I actually have a uh, a one on one with uh with Stephen and uh Lauren. So of course Maggie Ooh. Maggie and Glenn. So yeah. that'll be a interesting interesting interview. I, I definitely want to ask because so many fans have have said that since this this episode, they're no longer watching going to watch the show because of of what happened and how they did it. And I think that's a really interesting conversation to have. So I, I really look forward to kind of hearing about how all of this went down on set now that they can finally talk about it. Do, uh, do you know anything about, like, how big the numbers were for that premiere? Okay, here we go. <laughs> From Entertainment Weekly. Walking Dead premiere ratings just beat everything. Yeah. Um, 
And now I've got an ad that covers my whole screen. All right, here we go. Um, <laughs> it delivered 17 million viewers with wow. a 8.4 rating among adults 18 to 49. Uh, biggest overall rating with a 17.3. And... So, yeah, it beat everything. That's a bigger demo rating than NBC's Sunday Night Football, let alone any other Mortal series on the air. Wow. That's re- well, good on them, man. Their yeah. cliffhanger uh, worked. It did. It worked. Now, we'll be <laughs> curious to see if people actually quit the show. If yeah. If people actually are like, I'm so turned off by what happened, I don't want to watch anymore. So it'll be really interesting to watch. I kind of doubt that. I think that's a lot of people talking big game. Yeah. And then they're not going to be able to help themselves. I feel like that's just what you say when, like, you're emotional and you're in the moment. And you're like, man, like, <laughs> screw this show. I'm not watching it anymore. <laughs> like, throw the remote. And then, like, next Sunday, they're back. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's like, uh, you pretty much uh, described me as a sports fan. <laughs> I don't care anymore. And then, inevitably, after an off-season of optimism, well, maybe maybe this year will be different. <laughs> yeah. Are really you ta- dumb. Are you talking about the Falcons? Because no, that seems like not, an appropriate statement to make after Sunday's it, uh, game. <laughs> they, they had a couple of brutal losses in a row, those guys. But I'm more because t- I've always been a basketball guy. Uh, ah, gotcha. that's, that's that's my sport vice. But yes, I, and by the way, Emma, kudos to you, right? I know for making sports. a relevant sports reference. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Thank you. There's a first time for everything. <laughs> yeah, very well done. Very well done. <laughs> Ah, uh, well, you had some casting news you were pretty excited about. Oh, I am very excited about. Now, I've said this publicly before. I, I, I do have a man crush on Matt Damon. But coming up very quickly, uh, Donald Glover. I am a huge fan of this guy, and I'm very excited that he is cast as Lando Carissian in this in this spinoff. How, how do you feel about that? I think it's going to be great. Um, I think it's great casting. I think... Donald is really like on his A game right now. He just has so much going for him. Yeah. And he's really making the most of it. I think he's making really smart uh, career decisions. So I think this is this is awesome. I'm super happy with the news. Like I'm stoked for him because he's he's already created such an awesome world for himself. And then and now I kind of feel like he's kind of the biggest name. To step into that universe. Well, maybe not, because you could argue that Ewan McGregor was a pretty big name, and obviously Samuel Jackson, but those prequels kind of like, we like to pretend those don't exist, right? Right. Um, <laughs> they so never no, happened. <laughs> yeah, so so I'm, I'm kind of curious. Uh, uh, or, or, uh, he, I think what's great about him is he, w- he won't get stuck in that Mark Hamill world of, all oh, crap, I can't do anything outside of Star Wars. Right. Um, and then, because he's already got such an established talent base before Star Wars. Right, right. Yeah, that's definitely, if you come into it with people knowing who you are and having a strong fan base, then it's not something where you're going to get, like, you know, pigeonholed into that, oh, you're the dude from Star Wars. You can't, right. like, and everything anyone ever sees you in, it's, oh, you were that dude from Star Wars. You know, <laughs> right. it's, it's people, they may think, oh, there's the guy from Community. You know, they're not right. going to think, uh, or, or from Atlanta, but they're not going to think the guy from Star Wars. So, yeah, I think he's making great decisions, and I think it's a, a great choice on behalf of Lucasfilm. Great. Yeah, well, that's. Uh, I just wanted to, to, to nod my hat again to Donald Glover. But again, fast becoming my number one man crush. That guy's just, everything he touches is really good. It's res- the guy's really good. It's a respectable man crush. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm proud of it. 
I'm Got actually um, another another uh, gentleman from that show, uh, or from the the upcoming uh, Han Solo movie. Uh, I'm going to butcher his name. Um, it's what we do. Alden, Aaron, Rick. Alden Eric. Hopefully I'm saying that right. So there's people shaking their head right now at me trying to say that. Anyway, he's in a new movie that's coming up um, called Rules Don't Apply. And I'm actually interviewing him and Lily Collins for that on Thursday. And that won't be coming out until next month. But we'll have an exclusive interview with the two of them. Just just me and them for 10 minutes. An actual exclusive one. Actual exclusive. My exciting sit down with Ron Howard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, moving right along and kind of going into our, our movie awesomeness, we wanted to talk about the box office report from last weekend. Tyler Perry's latest film, uh, Boo and Medea Halloween, actually took the top spot this weekend, bringing in $27.6 million, beating out Tom Cruise's new flick, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, by more than $4 million. But you shouldn't feel too bad for Cruise, though, because Jack Reacher took the top spot at the worldwide box office, bringing in more than $54 million worldwide. Uh, third place was the success as well with Ouija, Origin of Evil. The film made $14 million for its opening weekend and only cost $9 million to make. Uh, coming in fourth this week was the Atlanta-filmed The Accountant, which is still hanging in there with $14 million in its second week. And rounding out the top five, we had the movie adaptation, of course, of Paul Hawking's best-selling thriller, The Girl on a Train, which brought in $7.7 million in its third week. And I felt like we had to we had to talk about keeping up with the Joneses since, you know, we had John Hamm and Zach Galifianakis on our show last week. We did. We did. <laughs> um, so our interview apparently didn't help. It came in a, <laughs> yeah, it <really> didn't. <laughs> a disappointing seventh uh, premiering with... Uh, uh, are, are only bringing in 5.6 million, so that that didn't do so hot. Yikes! Ben Zakoff and Akis had a couple of couple of stumbles there. A few, a few. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, we tried. I mean, we tried to help them. Yeah. Inviting them on the show and everything. I don't. We did what we we did all we we've, could. We've done a lot, and we. I am. I think I would be curious to know. That's a pretty. That's got to be an upset that Medea. Yeah. Beat out Tom Cruise. I love that. I think that's a <laughs> that's what should be on the poster. Beat out Tom Cruise. I think that's that's lovely. Yeah, that's a, that's totally the tagline for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, that's uh that's our box office report for this week. And of course this Friday we have Inferno coming out. There's a bunch of other smaller indie movies that are coming out as well, but the only kind of big film with big stars in it will be Inferno, which of course is a Dan Brown book or based on a down, uh, Dan Brown book and directed by Ron Howard, of course, and starring Tom Hanks. So want to jump into the interview and inter- well, introduce your, your interview with them. Before we go to this super duper non-exclusive interview, um, did you, uh, did you see or read the Da Vinci Code? The kind of the, the first of this series with uh, Robert Langdon? Yes, um, I didn't read it, but I did see it. I wouldn't say that I could remember it, though, because it was... God, how long ago was that? That's more than a decade ago, right? 2006, I believe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing it. Um, One of my favorite actresses, Audrey Tattoo, is in it. And that's really all I remember. I I went to a location in Scotland where they filmed part of it. 
that's cool. So that yeah, it all ties together. That's I was just curious because I I listened to that book back in the day, like because sometimes when I work, I'll listen to books. Uh-huh. Um, and I thought it was so good. And I remember I was so geeked to see the movie. And I remember watching the movie. I and mean, obviously, I was while listening because while listening to it, I knew the movie was coming. Right. And I kept thinking, how are they going to make this a movie? And actually watching the movie. I remember thinking, you know, if I hadn't seen the book, would I, or really, if I hadn't read the book or heard the book, would I have any clue of what was going on here? So I actually haven't seen any of them since, but uh, reading about this one, I never read Inferno, the actual book. Uh, this looks actually kind of intriguing to me. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely a, uh, a cool premise, and um, obviously Dan Brown's books have been super successful for, for a reason. So I have, I have high expectations and I don't think, I mean, Tom Cruise or Tom Cruise, what the Tom Hanks, <laughs> they look exactly um, the same. They look exactly the same. Um, t- Tom Hanks, uh, doesn't pick bad projects. So yeah, I mean, it's that's true. That's high, true. High so, expectations. So, uh, which, uh, would you like to hear from first, Emma, Tom Hanks Let's, or Ron Howard? Let's do Ron Howard first. Let's do that. Here I am with Ron Howard. Hello, Ron. Thank you so much for coming to my home and bringing cookies. I've had better cookies, but I still appreciate the effort. Uh, First, uh, what's the process of of making a film? Do you do it by yourself? Well, fortunately, I don't have to shoulder it alone, but we we all read the book. In this case, we instantly felt like it was a, a really fresh, exciting movie opportunity for for us to work on and for audiences to see. David Kep, um, the uh, screenwriter, he co-wrote Angels and Demons. I've worked with David before. He, he came in and had a, uh, an immediate point of view about how to approach it. But that began a series of meetings, uh, which some of them included Dan Brown uh, and the executives at Sony. Because, you, you know, if you did a literal adaptation of a Dan Brown novel, he admits it would be five or six hours long. And so you've got to make some choices. We also felt that the ending... Uh, was fantastic for his novel, made a lot of sense, and it was thematically intriguing, but uh, but not the kind of cinematic climax that a movie audience expects, you know, from their from a thriller that they've just you know gone to see. So you know, there there there, there was some combining of characters and some reshaping of things, but always trying to build on those foundations of that Dan Brown gives us that are so original, so smart, and so entertaining. Would you say that casting is important? Well, casting is always so important. And in, in the case of this, of this adaptation, I decided not to limit myself to the descriptions of the book. I, I, I wanted to deliver the spirit uh, of those characters and, um, their, and their personalities to a large extent. But I didn't worry about nationality. I wanted as interesting an international cast as I could put together. And, uh, but I wanted fascinating, charismatic figures in all of these roles. Uh, and, um, and I was able to go out and find them because the, you know, the, the, the characters are interesting, the books are famous, uh, and David Kep's screenplay was very attractive. Hmm. <laughs> well, well played. Almost as if the, the casting of this film was hot on the heels of hashtag Oscar so white. Weird. Or, or maybe maybe just a huge coincidence. But no, that's good. We all like a little diversity in our films, but only enough to where we aren't uncomfortable. Am I right, Opie? Am I right? I'm just kidding. 
So how is it working with Tom Hanks? Uh, all the media outlets and such paint him to be just a real jerk. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's something that I look forward to. I have no anxiety about. The opposite. You know, I, I know that um, he's also a great collaborator. And, uh, um, and he's, he's, he's more than an actor who's going to come and, 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 and create a remarkable performance for you. You know, he's going he's to help you with the movie. Um, but only when you ask. You know, he's very polite about it. But he's, a, he's an excellent producer, writer, and director. And, 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 and I, uh, you know, I'm constantly picking his brain. So where does the entire process start? Well, you know, the, the, the fun begins with the location scout where you're, you're going and you're imagining all of the possibilities and you're having great lunches and meals and discussing the creative options at your disposal and the themes of the story and the history of the locations. And then you come to the car, the hard cold facts that, you know, you're going to have about three hours to shoot a scene that you'd normally shoot in a day because that's all that the mayor's office can possibly give you because so many tourists want to be there. That's why Dan Brown chose the location because they're, the, they're among the most popular, uh, you know, on the planet. Uh, so it, it's, uh, it, but it makes for a tremendous, you know, creative journey and a, and a great life experience. And so it's all worth the hassle. What has technology affected, if, if anything at all? Well, technology is changing everything and Dan Brown is nothing if not cutting edge about, um, you know, society, where it's going, and this kind of interesting tension between the past and the future, you know? And he always puts his stories right on that intersection point. Um, this one probably more than any of them, because when you're dealing with overpopulation, you know, that's not theology, that's not a theory, that's not ancient history, that's, that's, that's of the moment, and we know it's gonna impact our immediate future. And it's a bona fide controversy. We, you know, we don't know how to solve it. So that was, uh, that was some insight from, uh, from Ron Howard. I feel like we've learned some stuff about the film. Uh, coincidentally, did you read that uh, they're going to make a sequel to Willow? No, I didn't read that. I, I, saw, I saw that shared on Facebook. I have no idea if that's an actual worthy source, but apparently everybody's coming back, including Val Kilmer. Oh, wow. Hopefully I'm not spreading just absolute fake li- Like, maybe it was like an onion. <laughs> onion like onion kind of news source, yeah. But that's what I saw on Facebook. And the guy who shared it is a huge fan of the original, so I'm hoping I'm not just lying. I, I have not fact-checked that at all. But, hey, feel free to, for now, enjoy that. Uh, okay, and speaking of Willow... <laughs> Here's Tom Hanks. Now, Tom Hanks, also welcome to my home. I was just kidding about that thing I said about you being a jerk earlier. Uh, jokes aside, you always seem like the nicest guy under the sun. And uh, for the record, I enjoyed your uh, recent hosting of Saturday Night Live. I did. Let's stay on topic here. Who is Robert Langdon? Well, he's a symbologist. He's a guy that's fascinated by the, the constant solving of puzzles. It has always been that way. Uh, he has a, he has a, 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 a exchange with uh, Dr. Sienna Brooks, and he says, well, you, you were a weird kid. Yeah, I was a weird kid, too. I was always alone, and I was always thinking about stuff that no one ever bothered with. And because of that, he always has something to do. Uh, this is one of the reasons I love, I love uh, uh, playing Dr. Professor Robert Langdon, is um, because his mind is always seeing things that nobody else is. He's searching out patterns 
Uh, he's searching out. Um, he 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 like he, he'll, he'll see a symbol that he can go back through all of history and explain what it means and how it got to have that meaning and the, its import to society. Uh, so he's always the, sort of the smartest guy in the room. And he's also called upon in order to, to literally solve those problems that no one else can because they need the expertise of a professor of symbology. Who'd win in a fight? Sherlock Holmes or Robert Langdon? That's a pretty good question. In the great uh, tradition of Sherlock Holmes, he's a guy who's living in a world of his own and is looking forward to the excitement, the game is afoot, so to speak, of, uh, of, a, of a quest or a treasure hunt or a scavenger hunt. That, that's really almost what the, these movies come off, you know, clue to clue, sight to sight, um, uh, all along the trail that will, will lead you to somewhere. Um, but there's always a mystery to be solved at the same time. And it's up to Dan Brown, quite frankly, in order to, in order to make the maps for those trails. And he's, he's, he's able to do it. So how does the movie start exactly? The great beginning of this movie is Robert Lang is in a, is in a hospital room being treated by uh, this, this, this young British doctor. And uh, it's, uh, he's there for, for literally out of consciousness, and a few minutes later he realizes that not only is he in a hospital room for reasons that he doesn't quite understand, but he's also in the city of Florence, Italy, for reasons that he has no idea of whatsoever. So even if you're just trying to find out why he's there, that alone is, the, that alone is a, an answer that uh, takes about two hours to, uh, uh, to come around to. So apparently Ron Howard cast this movie. Ron Howard is looking to cast it as interesting as possible, and there's there's some archetypes that are that, that that Dan Brown hints at that can actually go any number of ways. It's not necessarily required to have an uh, an actor like Omar Sy play uh, play who he does, uh, but uh, the international aspect of the setting, uh, as well as you know the the, uh, the environments of something like the World Health Organization, begs uh, uh, and allows uh, for. Uh, international actors of, uh, of of all stripes, all colors, all diversity. There, I mean, there is outside of Ben Foster, who it plays a you know an important but tertiary character in in Inferno. I'm the only American, uh, and I'm uh, there's only three men and uh, there's three women. So it's a, a bunch of people of different colors and t- the two different genders that are that make the movie go. And I just think that well, that's just the way. It, in all honesty, that's the way it should be. Huh. This is just an unbelievable talking point. Again, diversity in films. I like it. High five. Yeah, that was a good one. We we really connected there. So, Tom, maybe talk about Dan Brown and, and his story and... And gosh, all the lovely locations you get to visit. Well, Dan is great because he, he writes these things, so he does all the, you know, the true heavy lifting in order to come up with uh, the theme and the setting. The adaptation from book to screen is, it, look, it's a particular beast. It, it doesn't have an omnipotent uh, uh, narrator that, you know, of Dan Brown's voice, but it does have the specifics of the when and the where and the why. Uh, and it, it ends up being part of a months-long exercise uh, in which we're all involved in order trying to discern what, what is, what's the most that we can cram visually and verbally into these, into these, into the screenplay and into the final movie. What I love about these things is that we we are in places like the Hall of the Five Hundred or the uh, Uffizi Gallery for a specific purpose. We're there in order to take in what is there. We're not just setting a, a fight or a headquarters or something like that in a in a groovy backdrop. 
we're there in order to study the masterpieces that are up on the wall and try to find a clue that is inside those very masterpieces. And guess what? Dan Brown has figured out that the clues actually sort of exist. Or at least there's a mystery there that, uh, that no one has been able to, uh, 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 to figure out the root of. And uh, that ends up being, I think, a, the biggest secret out of all of, these, uh, out of all the films. It, the, the, the theme, of course, is fun to examine. And in this case, overpopulation. It's an important theme to take into account, and everybody can understand it. But I think the real pleasure that makes them the popular films that they are is that it is a quest, it is a hunt, it is a, it is a mystery to be solved, and as the clue comes in, the whole audience is to go, ha, I didn't know that. Tom, thanks again for coming by. Uh, you didn't bring cookies, but uh, still, you're, you're a swell guy, and actually, huge, huge fan of your work. Huge fan of your work. And uh, there we go. Both uh, both Oscar winners and took the time um, to sit down with me. <laughs> Means a lot. Only only the best for our show. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, I'm super excited, though, to see that tonight. And they're actually doing a little kind of pre-screening reception for us. So there's, like, drinks and snacks and stuff uh, before we see it, which is unusual. Normally, that doesn't happen. That happens maybe like one in 50 screenings or something. Right. Um, but that's pretty cool. So it's always kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, they're giving us wine before. Does that mean that the movie is so great that they have a huge budget or that it's so or... bad that they want to get us drunk? <laughs> like, right. You never know. You never know. Right. So um, it'll... Would you say the best part was the movie or the foot massage that accompanied it? Really? Exactly. I had a great joke, and my mouth doesn't work, so <laughs> we're just going to pretend like I never opened my mouth in the first place. <laughs> Um, they did this though with sausage party too. They they got us drinks and stuff uh, before the movie, and our, we had drink tickets to use, and and that was very, I guess, befitting for for sausage party. That makes a lot of makes sense. makes a lot of sense. It, yeah, yeah. You almost that you should have been doing like keg stands before that movie. Yeah, it should have been yeah. it should have been that instead of probably the classy wine that I was drinking. But um, <laughs> right. And then going into Sausage Party. But uh, but I think Inferno. Inferno seems like a classy kind of movie, so I want to have a classy glass of wine. It does. I like it. I like it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so we'll have that next week, and then all kinds of crazy awesomeness from Walker Stalker Con. I'm actually going to be moderating a panel for them for American Horror Story, which I'm like five seasons behind on, so I've got to figure that out (laughs) before my panel. (laughs) Um, but uh, I kept up with the fandom, so I, I should be all right. But uh, you should be all right. You can just get up at the table and be like, "So, who the hell are you, people?" And just see how it goes. How long have you been on the show? <laughs> like, right. What season are we in, guys? Right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll have that, and then I've got a ton of interviews. I'm not sure if we'll be able to use any of the audio on here or not, but I'm going to see what we can do. I will. I will have audio from Outcast, um, Cinemax's. Outcast, of course, starring Patrick Fugit. I think we've had um, him and Kirkman on the show before from a roundtable I did with them at South by Southwest. But that's right. We will be doing a press junket with them at the convention as well. So there'll be a bunch of stuff. What exactly we get from it will be a surprise. But we're all about surprises here. So we love surprises. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have Atlas without surprise. It needs a little work. It needs a little work. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's all I have for this week. You got any more on your end? 
Uh, oh, uh, one thing. Uh, just to, just to wrap up the the uh, well, maybe not wrap up because I'd love for it to be an ongoing discussion. I heard from our friend Michael McKinney about. Uh, he sent me a tweet about Bruce Campbell. You know, being in in Ass versus Evil Dead, and if he if he's hating the work, and of course, and and it, Bruce Campbell is a producer on the show, and he's getting back together with all of his old buddies to do it. So it's probably not work how we'd think it's work. Right. He's probably making a buttload of money. So there is that piece. But I still wonder if deep down he's like, yeah, <laughs> this is what I have to do to get all this money. Right. Right. Yeah. So, but no, it was it was cool. Like Michael McKinney reached out, slapped my hand a little bit. Of course, he doesn't hate it. He's making a trillion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fair. That's fair. It's hard to hate it when you're making that much money. It is. It is, and honestly, the show it is so ridiculous. But it it, it is it is a it is fun. It's fun, but it is so over the top. In a recent episode, his car got possessed, which is the car that's been in every Sam Raimi film, including uh, Kevin Costner's For the Love of the Game, which is a baseball movie. Uh, got possessed, which was fun. The evil had never quote possessed a mechanical thing, and the production design around the car being possessed was pretty badass. They, they <laughs> made it like a raging bull, which was a lot of fun and fire. They, the, whoever designed it did a great job. So anyways, way off track when you're trying to wrap this thing up, but just want to give a shout out to Michael for for actually engaging on the Bruce Campbell topic. <laughs> um, he is one of our, our best listeners, so one of our, our mm. biggest fans, I think. He's at, nice. He is at the Savannah Film Festival uh, this week and actually sent me a selfie this morning of him and Molly Shannon together. So he's having a pretty good week. Nice. Yeah, a pretty good week. Nice. <laughs> Seeing some movies good. and uh, meeting some celebrities. So good not too Molly shabby. Molly Shannon. No, that's pretty good. Good for him. <laughs> for him. All right, well, that's all I have. Well, thank you. Cool. Well, thank you guys for listening. Again, my name is Emma Loggins, Editor-in-Chief of Fanbolt. My name is Kai Mickelson, Creative and Independent Filmmaker. And we'll see you guys next week. 